0: Hi guys and welcome back to You're on Crackmate, the podcast where we delve into films, television series and whatever it takes our fancy really, analysing and reviewing them to the point where we've been told flat out, you're on Crackmate. This week I am very happy to be welcoming a fresh voice, I suppose, to the podcast this week. I have recently got to know this wonderful bearded Irishman and like me, he's a big fan of film. Mr. John O'Connor, it's very nice to have you here. How are you?
1: Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. I am very good.
0: Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I was lucky enough for the first time in a long time to go to the cinema over the weekend. And it was with your lovely self that I got to do that. How long has it been since you were in the cinema last?
1: I think mm, it's probably 2019. Uh, I think we were trying to work this out as well. I think the last film I saw in the cinema was quite possibly star wars rise of skywalker so we're going well back into 2019 probably Um, december 2019
0: my goodness i'm sorry to hear that
1: yeah me too i i didn't think i was ever going to go back
0: yeah like and it says something that the first thing you see after it involves brutal slayings um you know just like you know this is this is where you your mind has been left in terms of cinema
1: yeah you know i needed my fix of just pure violence
0: really i had a lot of rage to get out you know (laughs) um before we get into the film that we're going to discuss today um john who are you why are you here hi my name is john and i am
1: here because sean ferrick is blackmailing me Uh, sorry no That's for something else. Uh, No, Uh, (laughs) Sean Ferrick has invited me to talk about Candyman with y'all today uh, because yeah, we both assess that we are huge horror fans. We both kind of grew up with the original film and I didn't actually know the new one was being released this week. And when Sean asked me, did I wanna go see it? I jumped straight onto it and I said, yes, let's go see this could be interesting. And I guess I'm here because I am absolutely not qualified to talk about movies in any way, shape or form uh, because myself, I am a trainee psychotherapist. Uh, so I'm not a film critic. And um, so if, if you have any complaints, direct them
0: directly to Sean and not me. That's, that's all right. I mean, anyone who's been following the pod for long enough knows that this is not the place for trained film theorists to come. This is where people... Word dump for about an hour, and I have managed to make a series out of it. It's been great. Great, great. Okay, well, uh, I'm
1: definitely used to word dumping uh, and having words dumped on me, so let's go.
0: (laughs) Excellent, excellent, cool. Well, obviously, you're very, very welcome here. And yeah, so diving straight in, Candyman 2021, it is, I think we were both almost taken aback to how much this is not, a reboot of the 1992 film this is very much a direct sequel to the 1992 film mm-hmm. and for me pers- excuse me for me personally i'm so happy that it is mhm yeah and i have to say that
1: surprise fell on me in real time because i had not really read much about this film going in so i was pleasantly surprised and even within the first five minutes of the film I thought yeah this is absolutely a reboot because I didn't recognize any of the cast it kind of tricks you out in the first uh, few minutes but as the story slowly progresses you and it's actually it doesn't take that long it's still within the first act you realize oh actually this is is, this is a direct sequel in the kind of the same vein that Halloween 2018 is to Halloween 1978 so this is a direct sequel uh, to Candyman 1992 and when it lands on you it's quite surprising and, all, and very pleasing because it's done so well so
0: well I suppose there will be spoilers in this <laughs> so absolutely <laughs> were... guys head <laughs> yeah, up listen. at the start this is we are going to be talking spoilers because I think for any serious discussion and we are still very much doing our analysis of the film as we're sitting here talking about it today but for any kind of serious discussion of it you kind of have to talk about some of the twists and the turns and just the overall plot beats. Also, um, 30 year spoiler warming. We will be talking about Candyman 1992 mm. in this. Um, yeah. So sorry for anyone who hasn't seen either film. I thoroughly recommend you pause this podcast, but do come back. We would like you to come back to the podcast, but uh, yes, because my goodness, there's a lot to discuss, but John, what do you know about the initial ideas of the Candyman mythology and where it came from?
1: Um, As in pre-film, the source material it's based on? Mm. Uh, Nothing, absolutely nothing. Uh, I've read a lot of Clive Barker's other works, but I know nothing about the source material that Candyman is based on.
0: Well, that was funny, because when I saw, uh, I did a, Kind of a you said correctly that we both grew up with Candyman 1992. And for me, Mm. in a way, that is 100% accurate. And in another way, it's completely inaccurate. And I explain what I mean by that. I saw this film for the very first time in 2019. However, I have known not to say Candyman in front of the mirror since I was a toddler
1: right right I get you that I actually that's very very pertinent because before I knew Candyman was a film so okay we were both born at the tail end of the 80s the first Candyman film came out in 1992 Hmm. so I remember hearing about Candyman as an urban legend I didn't hear about it as a film so Candyman was very it was introduced to me by some of the older kids on the street who I grew up with and they were talking about it as if it was a real thing, as if it was some boogeyman that if you say Candyman, quite possibly if it was Candyman three times in the mirror, um he's gonna appear. And then of course we were all daring each other to say it. And so I think it would have been a couple of years later before I even learned it was an actual film. And then it just it naturally I just accepted it because like, oh yeah, that's Candyman. That's the boogeyman thing that exists already.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I can't re- funnily enough, I can't remember when I when I made that distinction, the the difference between, say the boogeyman and the film. I do remember, mm-hmm. uh, and this has to have been 90, so it wouldn't be, I suppose in the grand scheme of things, not too long after the film came out, our local extravision had the video and it was I remember it being quite a striking video cover. I think it's the eyeball with mm-hmm. a bee sitting on the eyelid. Um, And then on the back of it, he's got his jacket open and there's all the bees and everything. And, you know, I've never forgotten that image. And it's still striking. It's actually something that holds up today. This, you know, the bee covered villain. Yeah. Um, But so when it's it's become iconic. Absolutely. And I feel iconic. He is as iconic as Freddy Krueger, as Jason Voorhees. And as Michael Myers, Mm -hmm. and I know there's obviously other massive horror icons, but what Candyman 2021 does is completely changes and adds to the lore. I won't give anything away until we get to the end of the episode, because people, Mm -hmm. please keep listening. But they managed to change it in a way that certainly merits discussion.
1: Yeah, for sure. I wholeheartedly agree. And I think a lot of people say if you were a real hardcore fan of the original film, that could sway you either way, you could either really like what they do with it, or you could really dislike what Candyman 2021 does with the mythos. Um, Because I know there was two films that came after uh, the original Candyman. So some people could sort of Dig their heels in and say that's the established mythos. But as far as I'm aware, this film really changes the events of those two films and kind of erases retcons them almost.
0: Um, yeah, I did a I did a, a quick kind of a breakdown of those two things. I mean, I think, and I'm I apologise to the two people out there who love Candyman, Day of the Dead, but I believe many people <laughs> would just wish that that film didn't exist. Whereas Farewell to the Flesh right. has some merit um it's not the best right. made film but it does st- some stuff for the lore that's quite good um and you get a you for example you right, get okay. daniel robotile's name that his oh name that's
1: not f- established oh interesting i i i guess because it, it's said so repeatedly in this film mm-hmm. i just assumed it was thrown somewhere in the first one that's interesting
0: that was i, I was because yeah I, I was sitting there thinking exactly the same and like i've remember the name of Daniel Robert I've known that for probably as long as I've known there was a film of Candyman so yeah. it, it was a surprise to me to go like oh, oh okay then that came from Farewell to the Flesh um, and yes so I suppose Farewell to the Flesh the only thing that survived from Farewell to the Flesh until 21 is Candyman's name
1: yeah interesting that. That's great. It, in some way, I think if anything, that just kind of lends credence to um, this, the, the fact that you're, this is supposed to be based on a real person. Uh, that, sorry, uh, Daniel Robota in the film is supposed to have been an established person before the events of Candyman 1992. Hmm. Um, so yeah, and I can kind of see why that will kind of lend credence as sort of the mythos gets expanded.
0: That's really cool. All right. The so you mentioned obviously Clive Barker there. Um, and I I yeah. would not have a lot of experience with a lot of Clive Barker's work. Like I've seen Hellraiser, I've read The Hellbound Heart. I am currently reading The Forbidden, which is the story that spawned Candyman. Um, right. and there are there are some pretty big differences between The Forbidden and Candyman. Um for example, Clive Barker's The Forbidden is set in, you know, a rundown English slum almost, whereas Bernard Rose's Candyman is set in the Cabrini Green projects in Chicago. Um Bernard Rose's Candyman. Little difference. There. Little <laughs> difference. Very, 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 very different. But it's yeah. funny in that the universal theme of both is the basically the degradation of society and the differentiation of class. Whereas Rose's brings right. in the racial element that wasn't present in Clive Barker's story. Mm,
1: mm. Okay. Okay. Uh,
0: for example, the candy man in Clive Barker's story is a white man in a patchwork jacket that's so ridiculous that even Helen, I think she's Helen Buchanan in the story, even she thinks it looks ridiculous. So it's not the cool, <laughs> you know, trench coat that uh, Tony Todd is wearing. In right. candy body, it's a bit like bold choice there, Clive? Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, like I, if anything, that really lends credence to what uh, adaptation should be, because when you're changing the medium of it, you really have to give focus to the visuals. And if it's going to be something ridiculous and clown-like, how are you supposed to be fearful of that? And even Clive Barker, I think himself said when they were adapting. Hellbound Heart into Hellraiser it was Clive Barker's decision to change the visual aspect of the Cenobites because it was a visual medium so they actually needed to be a bit more fearful looking
0: that's it like some stuff works so well on the page because your imagination is feeding in the blanks but as you say when you have a visual medium you're kind of not that you can't fill in the blanks because of course you can that's and we'll talk about that when it comes to some of the kills that are both on and off screen, particularly in 21. But you do have to acknowledge the fact that, unless, and I say this without, I'm not joking as I say this, unless your audience uh, is blind, they will bring, you know, their own, you know, they can see what's going on. So you have to acknowledge yeah. that for a visual medium. Now, for so. For sure, for sure. The things that we, we keep from The Forbidden, are Helen's exploration of the graffiti and the urban legend. So the urban legend is the big thing here. Uh, Sweets Mm -hmm. to the sweet, which I know is not a Clive Barker original quote. I believe it's from Hamlet. Um, Right. And there is... What's the other thing? Oh, and one of the coolest, coolest three words ever spoken by a villain in horror movie cinema be my victim now that is from (laughs) I told you not to say the bloody thing in the mirror I told you (laughs) Um. so they they come from the forbidden so I think Bernard Rose when adapting it for the 92 version took some very strong elements and worked it in now, for the 2021 version, I would argue that Nia DaCosta, Jordan Peele, and Wynne Rosenfeld, when writing the script for this, took some of the strongest elements of the 92 version to build their story for this one as well.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. It like it, 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 it does have such a strong genetic link with the first one, because I, su- I suppose that was what is one of the greatest things about this film it is such a treat if you did not know like ourselves if you did not know that this is a direct sequel uh you you do get sort of misdirected by the film believing it's a complete new film complete adaptation even a change of certain characters uh, or certain actors who play certain characters uh, i'm thinking of the first sort of visual iteration of the Candyman that we see yep. in this it's a completely different actor but not for the reasons that you think it is and when you realize just how steeped it is and bit, quite literally builds upon the foundation of the first film, you, you totally see the genetic link between the two of them. And like, like you said, the strongest elements do shine through, for sure.
0: I, I definitely... Now, just really, really quickly, because the name has just escaped me here, Sherman Fields... Now, to Mm -hmm. fans of the 1992 Candyman film, the name Sherman Fields will mean absolutely nothing Um, because Sherman Fields in this film. So this is opening scene, but we are starting to head into spoilers, guys. So all of the the warnings have been there. Sherman Fields is a man with a hook for a hand who was wrongfully accused of giving candy with razor blades inside it to neighborhood children he was hunted down and accidentally found by the police where without any warning and without any obviously attempt of some sort of you know an arrest he is beaten to death so badly that his face is gone beyond all recognition he mm-hmm. is then the candy man and we are sitting there in the cinema going well that's not tony todd Mm -hmm. and and it's very early on as well
1: so like when this new person who is just as striking uh you know in every way a sort of movie antagonist should be uh when they step out of the wall you're like okay so this is who the new Candyman is going to be and you but but, it also kind of confuses you because this is a person uh, it's a it's a live person. It's not a ghost-like entity in any way, shape, or form. And it's like, oh, okay, so th- th- this is who they are. Fine, I'll roll with it. And then it really starts to change up, and that's who the Candyman is for the foreseeable duration of the film.
0: That is true. When we start to see, there's a lot of say visual ties to the '92, and in the '92, there's a lot of shots of Candyman's in the mirror, or you know. He suddenly appears to something. And there's a lot of that with Sherman. And, and so for the longest time. Yeah. Grant. Cool. All right. I accept it. Me in my little fanboy mind going like Sherman with all of the greatest of respect to you as a character. I really, really love Tony Todd. Boss, you're grand. Yeah. You're Grant.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah there, there, there is a sort of a defer. You can't help. You can't not think about tony todd but um i think as the film plays on he does become his own thing because i think that's when i look back on it now the whole point of 2022 if anything the first half of the movie or the first act is all about misdirection because it starts off in the 1970s and you're not really told who anyone is you're just kind of rolling with it it's it's almost a cold opening And then it quite literally jumps uh, to the present day. And you are following then two characters, uh, Nathan Stewart Jarrett, who plays Tony Cartwright and his boyfriend, Kyle Kaminsky, who plays Grady. Um, You follow these two characters and you then believe that these are going to be the two main protagonists. And they are the ones that, and you kind of don't really know where the story's going. It, you really just have to kind of follow along with it. So these two characters, they're going to visit um, uh, Troy Cartwright's sister. And they're they're literally just having a house party. And then at one stage, you know, they're, they're setting up a lot of it. There's a lot of opening exposition to sort of set up, you know, who the characters are, what they do for a living, all this. But then really in true Candyman fashion, it literally turns to how this apartment complex that they're sitting in is is based within Cabrini Green. And it's like, hey, have you ever heard the story of Candyman? And it's actually this character who introduces the concept of Candyman as an urban legend. And it's great because you're sitting there it's like, oh, this is really clever. This is exactly how Candyman has passed on, even if you're a fan of the films or you've just heard about the whole, say, the name in the mirror five times. It's perfect it's the perfect reintroduction to it's the perfect reintroduction for the main characters of the story to get familiar with the concept
0: of Candyman that is true and that is one thing that this film hammers home is that and of course it's in the 92 um, it's this idea of Candyman is kept alive through word of mouth but you don't realise how literal that is until a little bit further yeah. on. And now it's and now it's in the 92. Mm. Um, and again, it's, you know, it's kind of, oh, is this literal? Is this literal? Oh, it's literal. Um, oh, yeah. And this, this <laughs> super does look literal. It's <laughs> super literal. It's like, oh, right. Oh, oh, I see. Now, mm-hmm. the advertising, so actually the advertising campaign for this film, um, I've the, the first trailer, I, I had chills because there's a remix of Destiny's Child. Uh, say my name playing <laughs> over the first trailer and I believe it was Wow yeah the, and the working title the sorry you know you know the shipping title obviously they don't call it the real thing. it's say my name and everything mm-hmm. because that's a huge element to the plot. It's say his name. Now obviously we know the curse of say candyman five times in the mirror but this film, it has this really, really clever. Everyone knows you don't say can't demand five times. A minute. What are you doing? Come on. Like you don't do that. So there is a little bit of contrivance as to how do you get people to say this? You know, how do you get people to, to yeah. line themselves up effectively for a slaughter? Um, but it's because the whole point is, You have to say his name so that it won't be forgotten, that the story stays alive. And you do it in the mirror because what is it in you that you are bringing to the story? You Mm -hmm. see yourself as you are saying the name Candyman five times. Mm -hmm. That's why it has to be reflective. And that is something that is... You know, it's across the two, but it's really, really, really a part of this story.
1: Yeah, yeah. And they and quite literal and they really play with that as well visually in the film, which is so good. Um, and it's not it's not just jump scare tactics like, you know, oh, open the mirror cabinet, move it back and he's there behind you. It's a lot more subtle than that and sometimes it's actually quite explicit but even how they do it is still very very clever like the first time I think we're even really oh sorry so I should say then like again another misdirection the main protagonists jump again to the two other people in the room and we're then following them we're following uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen's character Anthony McCoy and his girlfriend uh, Tayona Paris am I saying that correctly? Uh, I had uh, Brianna yes yeah, yeah. So the, you then, it, it, it really jumps to these characters. And Anthony, you can tell he's taken with it. Uh, he's taken with the story. But then I think he says it, it, not by looking in a mirror, but by looking in a reflective window, like just a glass that has a bit of glare on it. And that's fine. It, you, don't even, you, you don't even think yourself it's going to work. But then there's a sort of a little um, blink and you miss it kind of moment that uh he's standing the candy man is standing there behind him but I, I suppose then again there's not really much to it that you the viewer can kind of fill in what's kind of going on or what is the reason for this it's it's not heavy-handed in a way
0: mm. a lot of what happens in the say the early film as it goes on is uh you know I think she, Helen says the name five times to the start of the film. Now, he doesn't then leap out of the wall at her and, you know, kill her brutally. It's not like that. And there's a similar thing here. It doesn't start with, it's as soon as you finish the fifth word. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and I like that. And one of the things that this film does very, very well is a lot of the characters are very, very savvy. You know, for example, Brianna is having absolutely none of it. She's like no no yeah. way I am not doing that like why why would you even pretend yeah. to do that you know um but that 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 really that really kind
1: of gives credence to either just fear in general or just how people you know superstition that you, they'll hear a story and it just they may not even know why or may not have even had an encounter with this but it will just kind of spook them nonetheless and there, for what it might, it might be sort of excitement for one person, but it's fear for the other, like with Anthony's kind of motivation, he's fascinated with it, he and he doesn't even know himself why but he's just taken with this and it starts kind of like churning his sort of inspiration, you know, to do a whole, a whole new art piece that he's mm-hmm. looking for, and we, we find out later on why, but it, it, it just kind of goes to show how it really divides people or how it, they kind of bring their own individual reflective piece. And it's like what you're saying, like, why does the person want to do this? And throughout the film later, it's not just Anthony. It's not just these people. Other people do it, and each person who does it has their own motivation to it. And I suppose the whole thing with Anthony, who, how he harnesses the whole Candyman appeal like putting it quite literally on display in an art piece and almost kind of challenging you to face your fear in quite literally in the mirror and dare yourself to say it. So he's not <laughs> even forcing you. It's just, it really, it's down to the individual person who stands in front of the mirror.
0: And it becomes then in the fact that it's an art piece, it becomes immersive art. You know, if say it was, yeah. <clears throat> say that say there was no Candyman, well, what a different film this would be. But Anthony's art piece, the fact that you have to do something to be a part of that piece makes it, you know, it's very immersive. You become a part of it. You are part of the story ongoing. Now, this film takes that and sort of adds a tiny supernatural side to that. Um, only a little bit mind. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, actually, right. So just one thing that I want to talk about really, really quickly, as you correctly say, Anthony is an artist, right? And uh, as you said as well, that they are living in what is a beautiful, beautiful apartment in what was Cabrini Green, the near north side of Chicago. Now, you're about to get a bullet point history of Cabrini Green here because we do not have the time to cover what a failure Cabrini Green was in terms of An attempt versus an execution for affordable to mixed income housing in Chicago. But just really, really quickly, right? Cabrini Green was a project that was built in quite an affluent area of Chicago. It was in between Lincoln Park and Gold Coast. These were these were nice areas in Chicago, right? So when you think back to Candyman '92. You know, and you have those high rise towers and it's pure concrete and it's all very run down and it's very, you know, it's all the gardens have been bricked over because this allegedly was to cut down on the cost of maintenance. You know, if there was a fire, you just stuck a board over the window. They didn't bother to clean it out. And this was all allowed for the rise of, you know, a lot of a super, super rise of violence organized crime gangland warfare and this was the backdrop to Candyman 1992 because Cabrini Green as it was in the film was exactly how it looked then. Cabrini Green of Candyman 2021 looks a little bit different.
1: Um, Totally like you almost you we we completely do not get to see that process we get to see it quite literally as you know, it's, po- it's well post gentrification. It is, it's essentially, it's a bunch of people sitting in a very luscious looking apartment by any standard. Mm. And they're talking about, hey, this area used to be completely dirt poor and uh, it used to, you know, it, it has an urban legend about it, you know. So it's, comp- you don't get to see any of that process happen. It has already happened in the intervening 30 years.
0: And there's an interesting parallel which, again, tantalizing spoiler, we'll go into further details toward the end of this episode, but there has been a complete transformation of the locale from 1992 to 2021 as there is somewhat of a transformation of the urban legend of Candyman from 1992 to 2021. Now, I don't want to give too much away just yet, but there is a big transformation there. Um,
1: I great parallel. I, I'd imagine the people who haven't seen this and they're listening to it is like, "What is it? What is it?" But people who <laughs> have seen it, <laughs> that's re- that's great, actually.
0: Yeah, it, that's it. Really goes to show how it, it has evolved. It it definitely has, and it ha- it has evolved in Common Domingo's character, William Burke. He uh, he was the the child point of view that we saw in the cold open. Uh, which is set 1977, greeny mm-hmm. Green. Uh, he returns as an adult uh, and he interacts with mm-hmm. Anthony. Uh, and he is sort of our gateway to the re-emergence. What Troy gave us, the story of Helen Lyle, William gives us the story of Candyman. And... Yeah. Yeah. So he runs a laundrette, which is cool. It kind of becomes a little bit of a base for a little bit. We get our... Uh, I think we, we both kind of sat up and went, ooh, because as we walked in, there's a close up and he's reading a Clive Barker novel.
1: Oh yeah, it's uh, not even subtle. It is. It's it's just there. The name is just big, bold writing. Clive Barker weave world. Uh, I was like, okay, yeah, that's that's so on the. And actually, I think like the first like one of the first people killed in this film is called Clive. Like, yes. So it's yeah. it it's just it's so on the nose, but it's uh, you know what you're that's fine it's it's totally fine it's a wink to the fans Absolutely. it really is
0: um can i i, I just want i i i actually think genuinely i think there isn't a dull note in this film in terms of acting i think everybody's really really good but i will say if i can't have tony todd doing voices in a film I want Coleman Domingo doing them because that man's voice is just mm. the right level of gravelly and, oh, I would listen yeah. to him just talk for hours. Uh, if only they did some sort of yeah. recorded yeah. books on tape.
1: Yeah, for sure. And if they only did The Forbidden by Clive Barker, read by Colman Domingo. No, but like he, th- that character is significant for that reason because he is quite literally the storyteller. The mythos, the history, anything that people don't know and want to find out, they go to him. He is that person who quite literally, mm, spoiler alert, resurrects the Candyman mythos for both the audience and for plot purposes. Um, Um, and, And even actually just kind of a little side note on how they do that at first i wasn't sure how it sat with me but they kind of do it in a shadow puppets um in a shadow puppet way which it was interesting because i didn't get why they were doing this like it was it it it's just shown first but then you see it's actually the child uh william playing with shadow puppets and then he gets up and does what he's asked to do he's like takes to laundry or whatever but they keep going back to that whenever they're telling a story it keeps going back to the shadow puppet kind of i don't want to say like montage or whatever but it's just this little storytelling and it, it kept reminding me of uh the harry potter and the deathly hallows film yes where they kept doing the little animation sequences mm. um, I, I should it, it. and yeah it, it was good it was good because i think if anything for an urban legend and in kind of like, it, it's almost equivalent to like, you know, a bunch of kids sitting around holding a torch under their face, you know, just like, and then, you, you know, the boogeyman. Did, you know, I, I thought it actually, in hindsight, I actually thought it fit in quite well. It was a little jarring at first, but when you look back on the film as a whole piece, I was like, oh, no, that actually works. It, it's a little exposition-y, but it, it works.
0: So why not? Uh, I, I, I'll double down. I'll, it's very exposition-y. But I, I do agree okay. with you. I think it works. I actually, so uh, shout out to the puppet theatre company, Manual Cinema. So they built that section for the film, well, several sections for the film. And that originated from, so obviously we didn't know this was a direct sequel, but director Nia da Costa and producer Jordan Peele certainly knew it was a direct sequel, but they didn't want to do flashback and they didn't want to do intercutting right. with early footage. Uh, I think there was it was kind of an idea that is a bit cheesy. So they said they wanted to do something different, and they came across this idea. Um, I believe it originally turned up in like that, one of the teaser traders, because there's a little Nia DeCosta is credited as directing a Candyman short in 2020, oh, which I believe was done okay. with these kind of puppets. Um oh, and right, right. it take, yeah, it took me a little while to buy into it. I now like it you know, like by the, by the time I got to the end of the film, yeah, I was sold. I like it. And particularly um, there is the scene, not just where they're talking about Helen Lyle's fate, but where oh, yeah. they acknowledge the fact that it wasn't, Helen wasn't on her own in that bonfire. And there's a scene where the puppets kind of, it sort of clears out a hole and you get finally the puppet of Tony Todd's Daniel Robotel, because specifically you get the yeah, open the rib, rib cage. cage, and I thought, yeah, yes, yeah. all right, I'm sold. This is brilliant.
1: Yeah, and actually, it it I can imagine if they had just cut back or used footage from the first movie, that would have kind of cheapened it. Uh, uh it would. You're right. It would have looked very, very cheesy, and I think it also just thought, okay, but whose perspective is that from? And uh, <laughs> I, I, I did not realize, uh, sorry, so I, I guess I should ask this. You're saying that it was a real puppet company, so that's not digital? Like I thought the whole thing was done digitally. I did not realize there were real shadow puppets.
0: I do not right now know the answer to that, whether it was okay, created okay. and then recreated digitally. Rendered, uh, I'm, right. I'm not right. sure. But uh, I think uh, potentially.
1: Uh, you know what? Enterta- entertaining all the way, uh, mm. I have to say. Very, and very well done really no. I have to say because it's consistent stylistically it's very consistent the whole way through as well so yeah.
0: it is it is because even though you have your straight cinema style of you know here's what i'm seeing on screen versus and now we're doing shadow puppets it's it's not handled in such a way where it's just like oh i'm out of the film now
1: yeah 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 no no it's it really isn't it's uh i think i think also as well Kind of like what we were saying, it it really gives one of those opportunities of less being more, where the audience member, like you, you just quite literally see a black and white depiction. It's very, very simple. So you, the audience member, can kind of fill in the blanks. Mm. Uh, if I like if any it, it made me want to see what they were talking about, but I think that's the intrigue of bare storytelling anyway. So
0: I think it works. I think, yep. Nope. I totally, totally agree. Um, We have a couple of returning actors. Um, So first of all, we have the lovely Vanessa Williams, who is returning as Anne-Marie. Now, that's a pretty big, if you, once you know, well, she's in the trailer, but once you know that she's back, it's a pretty big indication as to who Anthony is. This
1: is it. And I think, like, again, had no clue. And even when I was sitting in the, even when I was sitting in the theater and I saw Vanessa Williams come up, I was like, "Oh, okay, wow, she's she's gotten work since she signed *Color of the Wind*." But <laughs> yeah, I, I did not realize it was supposed. I did not realize that she was in the first uh, movie. I'm like, it it fell on me in the best possible way. I discovered who she was in the process of the film. I was like, "Oh, oh my God, this is." I could kind of fanboy out and enjoy the moment as it was intended to be, mm. even though I had seen the trailer. What two years ago <laughs> when it originally came out? Oh yeah, God. Yeah. Actually, when you
0: say it like that, it's it's crazy that it's been so long since the trailer's been out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yes, she. But
1: and 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 fantastic performance by her. Actually, she completely owned that scene.
0: It's it's funny because she has such an arguably, arguably, it's tiny, tiny role. It's more of a cameo, really, in this film, but it's so thematically important. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There is, you, you could argue and say that, all right, listen, she's the plot along, you know? Yes. That thing you've been thinking is that thing. It's that thing, but it's done in such a way that the film would be less without her.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And it really, I think she's a turning point in the plot. Uh, Because, and a very significant one too, because through her, you find out the mystery of what has happened all these years. You find out that, you know, we made a pact never to say Candyman's name again. So you really get to understand her motivation. You really get to understand why this is as much a mystery. The events of the film and Anthony's transformation are as much of a mystery to him as they are to anyone else in the film, um, this, you know, and and you kind of get, having known the events of Candyman 1992, you, you just intrinsically understand her motivation. So it totally makes sense. And think of it this way, you know, she, you could look at it in the sense of well, she is a woman living with not only just trauma of nearly having her infant child well of having had her infant child kidnapped and quite literally put on a funeral pyre to be sacrificed so not only does do you carry the trauma of that but then there's the whole supernatural trauma of that i mean you can you can get over trauma how do you how do you reconcile carrying the burden knowing uh, of supernatural entities out there Oh, okay. Well, we just have to make a pact to never let this happen again. But you, and kind of like what we were talking about, you just, you know, how easy it is for this demon or ghost or whatever it is to get activated. Mm. So you're, you're kind of always running on a gamble there that your efforts will be, you know, successful.
0: Yeah. And so, and like you say, so easily thwarted. Um, There is, there's a moment that, in the trailer out of context, I remember thinking it was almost comical when Vanessa Williams go, you know, he Anthony begins to say the word candyman and she goes, shh, 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 shh. nope, nope, don't say it. And the way the beat in the trailer it was like, Oh, is this is it gonna be kind of a, a humorous thing? In the film, it's dead straight. Uh, oh, and yeah. it it works. And it's like, no, no, you get her fear.
1: Oh, that actress really sold it. I have to say, totally taken with it.
0: Mm.
1: Totally taken with it. But but that's what I said. Like, for such, she's in one scene, but my God, does she set it on fire? It is really strong performance, I have to say. Uh, And well, like, no one gives a bad performance in this, actually. And if anyone does, it's okay they don't last long on screen anyway uh, they'll probably just get killed. So the reason <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah 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 for sure for sure. but like, I, I think like that's that's kind of okay because it doesn't I, I think this is where you look at the whole this whole film as you can look at it uh, as a non-typical typical horror movie because it does have all the trappings of like it has gory kills yes but they're not as explicit as they used to be in, say, the earlier film. Um, a lot a lot of stuff happen, happens off screen, which for a lot of people could bug a lot of people, you know, people who want to go and see the kind of the gory hmm. kills. But it relies a lot more on clever filmmaking because we've already seen that. We need to update it a little bit as well, like it, reflection, what you can't see, plays into it quite a lot um and i th- I, th- I think if it happens off screen but you're in the room with it i think it's done really well and it if you were to just see a lot of mindless kind of gore it i think it would kind of cheapen the movie because the film is trying to be a bit more than what it was so i think
0: it's i think it's done very well i think so i think it's candyman 92 is often uh, it's often credited as being one of the best last pre-Scream slashers. The Scream changed the game entirely for horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for better or worse, that's another conversation for another day. Whereas this is very much... You know, it's a, it's a slow, contemplative film. Um, and the less said about the sequels, the better. <laughs> 2021 is it's funny in that it's it's got a lot of the things that made 92 work so well but it exists in a post-screen cinema world so you have characters who are more self-aware um there are the big the biggest laugh in the film which is ju- like without mm-hmm. question funniest moment ever where one character uh look, it, it's Brianna uh, is you know t- she's looking for something and she opens a door and then we see from the viewpoint of it's down the stairs right it's a basement and she just opens through her goes nope and closes the door and it was perfect
1: <laughs> it was hilarious for all the right reasons oh. It, oh so good like just think of how many people have like screamed at a cinema don't go in there She, she she, she does that for you it's like nope
0: And I was just like, and that's good. That is taking self-aware and making it enjoyable, as opposed Mm -hmm. to some of, well, sorry, a lot of films out there. They take self-aware too far, you know, because then you go like, well, if you are the self-aware, how are you still getting killed?
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Actually, this reminds me of a scene that originally was a point of contention between you and I um there is a, the bathroom scene the bathroom um, scene. yeah okay so for i guess if you're if you haven't seen it and you're still listening and you're you're just willing to have everything spoiled <laughs> there is a, there is a scene and i i think it has i i do i did agree with you why it wasn't necessarily a great scene but the more it sat with me um i really began to like it in a, in an appreciation of the film entirely. So there is a scene where after the first, I'd say, so this isn't even the first kill. I think three people have died already at this stage. There is two people in the art gallery. There is an art critic, which is also an amazing scene and filled with a lot of tension. And again, Mm. a a very clever on-screen kill. Um, Then there's a scene that takes place in a high school bathroom where a, a, I think there's like five teenage girls who are doing the teenage thing of, you know, daring each other to say it in... So, you know, the, the killings have, have been happening in Chicago. Um, so word is obviously getting around. And it kind of makes you think, well, what would happen if people elsewhere not related to the storyline of the film said Candyman in the Mirror five times? What would happen? Would they die too? Or is this all just happening to the main protagonists? Mm well, that gets beautifully answered. They're, they're all standing there daring each other to say, and it, and it really builds up as well. Like, even one of them chickens out and runs away. And then and the scene kept getting interrupted where, like, another girl comes back into the room, and she hides herself in a cubicle. She's not related to what they're doing. And they all say, Candyman, nothing happens. But then, I think, some, some teenage girl who looks like Eleven from Stranger Things forgets mm-hmm. her vape uh she runs off camera and of course next thing you know she doesn't come back people hear what's going on you don't see it and they slowly start so yeah they all get picked off one by one it's done very well again it could be it could be really frustrating if you wanted to see all the gory kills happening you don't really get to see them but you get to sort of see the aftermath or like through the crack in the door or under the cubicle kind of thing which is it works i think um but it really answers that kind of question of, well, what, does the supernatural thing happen to other people outside of it? And this scene kind of answers that. Yes, this is a supernatural entity that just gets summoned. If you summon Candyman, it will happen to anyone. And it doesn't pick or choose. It will just pick off who they are. And you're kind of wondering then, why, does this, why is this happening? But then you also learn in a sort of a newscast later on on that this school is within the cabrini green district as well so you could kind of argue then what is the rule or what is the sort of the magical elements governing uh Candyman's abilities or his range but you know so you could say that yeah this happens on the holy ground in which his power is most potent or something like this you know again that's down to the that's down to the audience and to the fans. They can kind of fill in the blanks in regards to that. But you had a when you were first watching it, you had a completely different take. You didn't like this scene
0: initially. No, I thought they were just trying to up the body count, um, and they needed something flashy for the trailer. Is that was my initial kind of like, ah, oh, guys, guys. Mm-hmm. But in reflection, uh, oh no, pun in, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> there's a the, the, it's shot very well. Um, yeah and as the girls are walking away we're looking at the girls now we can't see the mirror but we can see the hand dryer and you can see the reflection of Candyman in the hand dryer which i thought was cool oh um, i missed that that's great uh, it's, it's really it's, it's these little yeah. subtle things And so there's a lot of these little <laughs> subtle moments in it yeah and it's actually funny enough it's after the scene has ended and the news report is happening uh it adds into the you know So Anthony's art piece is uh, is say the name or say his name. Um, I can't remember exactly what the phrasing is, but it is, uh, I think, or Mm -hmm. even say my name or say his name. Anyway, say and name with a word in the middle, right? That word is scrawled in blood. We are told at the crime scene on the mirror. And this is one of the, the great moments where Anthony and Brianna's relationship is beginning to suffer because there are more and more ties to Anthony's artwork and Candyman so it's not Mm -hmm. yet explicitly kind of they're not looking at Anthony going say where were you on the night of but it's more Mm -hmm. why are you getting off on this because it seems for a little while that he's delighted because every time there's a killing that is tied in some way to his art he earns a little bit more immortality.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It really goes with that parallel of both are rising into their power. Like we said, like we were saying at first that when you first get to see Candyman in this film, no, sorry. You, when you first get to see Candyman as the vengeful spirit that we know him as you, it's said by looking in a window. So it's not in a mirror. And Mm. we were like, Oh, Oh, you know, again, we were we had our own little sort of uh, fanboy mythos. We were like, oh, is it because it was said in a window, not a mirror? He's not at his full strength, but the spirit is awoken. But then, and then you don't even get to see the next time he's summoned. You just get to see the aftermath, which is really clever. And it kind of ties into that whole perversity of, well, what is the person going to do when they're alone by themselves in front of the mirror? Are they going to summon that? Are they going to be tempted and summon that demon? you don't even get to see that happen the second time but just by the sheer by but what by what you get to what you do get to see is the art critic getting completely killed in silence uh as it pans away from her apartment window oh, beautiful shot like it was great so well shot uh, so well done and even actually the the events leading up to that that's where as, as that's kind of happening anthony is kind of having his own moment where he was like picking at the scab on his hand and then he goes to look he goes to he just goes to the bathroom but he he sees his reflection but he doesn't see himself he sees Candyman, and you know they're they're mirroring each other and again you don't really know if that's Candyman just fucking with them or if that's it you don't really have a sort of a context for this you just get a sense that they're both arising in mm. in their own kind of par- parallel ways anthony is getting deeper into this thing but Candyman is kind of getting he's kind of growing in his power and then so i think like bringing it back to that sort of scene with the school uh with the school bathroom it's starting to grow beyond and it's, it's like the evil is starting to wake back up again and it, it kind of also lends credence to why William Burke's character, the storyteller who knows the Candyman thing, it's, he, he kind of also has his own sort of arc in this movie where he's growing a bit more into the madness and the mythos of Candyman as mm. well. So it's, uh, yeah, no, no, I, I totally take your parallel there. There's as well, there's a
0: physical, uh, you, you, of course, you mentioned the scab on Anthony's hand. There's a physical degradation of his body which starts with yeah. a bee sting um that uh, i remember we were they there we're kind of giggling going like dude you're having an allergic reaction you need to go to a doctor because it, <laughs> of course it, it expands beyond just a bee sting and it kind of starts growing like his arm yeah. effectively starts uh rotting and you're just like why haven't mm-hmm. you gone to a doctor yet and you know um yeah,
1: yeah, you're you're totally doing like what why aren't you just doing the logical thing? And again, the more you look at it, it's like this could just seem so hammy, but then mm. by the end of it you realize, oh, he never had a choice, man. This is this is this
0: that's, he, yeah, he he's mm. a lot
1: more deep into it than you than you originally get. Um
0: that's one thing, and right to discuss this, we have to so we have to go to the end of the film. discuss this Mm -hmm. but yes everyone if you're still with us now i presume you've, you've had enough spoilers at this point that it won't really matter okay so what we discover is that anthony is effectively becoming a vessel for the Candyman to become flesh again now with with an asterisk right we learn that william knows an awful lot more than he's been letting on because Mm -hmm. of the second event from his childhood that we only find out toward the end of the film. Now we know Mm -hmm. that William is the little boy in the laundromat who is surprised by the appearance of Sherman shouts out. And that leads to Sherman's apprehension by the police and murder. Now, if you flash forward, it's, we're not given a set, space of time but it can't be that much more because uh, both he and his sister appear to be the same age um, Mm -hmm. and his sister is playing the Candyman game in the mirror and in hindsight very very nicely won't let him play as well yeah Um,
1: sound sister
0: (laughs) thanks very much yeah and this is Williams he had his first example of Sherman and then he had his first example of the Candyman and Mm-hmm. You know, a part of him obviously broke that day. And as he has grown up, and this is where Candyman 2021 is both adds to the lore of Candyman 92 and also, I feel, creates its own lore, is that yeah. where we went in going, where is Tony Todd? You know, wh- where, where is Daniel Robitaille? We find out that he is there. So is Sherman and so is Anthony and Candyman is not one man. Candyman is how the community is dealing with the murders, attacks and injustice against black people, particularly by white supremacists.
1: Yeah, yeah, really great summation, because it only kind of struck me after a while, because, like, again, it it is that point in the film that could, again, it could anger hardcore fans, because it kind of redoes the, it redoes a lot of what we think Candyman was. But then mm-hmm. when you realize, well, actually, the myth wasn't even really all that uh, explained or explained, it's not tied down to what it is, essentially. I think now what this film does, it could kind of limit what Candyman was for a lot of people. Um, Because you were even saying as well at the end, oh, they kind of turned him into an anti-hero. But Mm. um, with this though, regardless of what he's used for or what his function is, when you sort of think of the sort of the supernatural entity that is Candyman use, then what this film makes you realize is that the vengeful spirit of Candyman is in itself and it kind of makes sense why he's like these bees he is kind of a hive like he's a hive mind of like what the people want him to be or what they need him to be but also the spiritual entities that make up candy man are numerous so it's daniel robita it's uh what's his name again uh the
0: Sherman is
1: the 1970s Sherman Fields yeah and mm. now Anthony you could probably also argue Helen Lyle because at, at the end of Candyman 92 unless she just becomes her own vengeful entity but um because if she was included in this it would have it would have raised more questions than yeah than it actually answers so in a way it's kind of nice it's just let out um but it really kind of goes to show, also, because there's a there's there's a sort of a they're trying to sort of recreate what the Candyman is, and I think also upon reflection, there's so many things in this that um, if you look at Candyman as an archetype, right? So get out of the whole literal who the people were. So. In Cabrini Green, there was this legend of Candyman who has a hook on his hand. You could argue that uh, Sherman Fields in this film was like one of the original copycats because he's walking around Cabrini Green. He's got a hook for his hand because like you're looking at it and you're like, wait, why is he doing that if he's not the Candyman? Mm. But well, he isn't the only copycat person, because if you think back to Candyman 92, when Helen is trying to investigate, she's attacked by a gang member who's walking around with Uh, a hook on his hand. He's saying, I heard you're looking for the Candyman bitch. And he, um, you know, so like there has been copycats before. So the archetype of what Candyman is kind of lives on through different iterations. And it's like, that's why in this film, he, uh, Anthony is also forcibly given a hook for a hand. Yeah. So it's, it's not, it's never incidental. So it's like, the people who are trying to resurrect Candyman, they are doing it with like purposeful intention. You never really get to see why uh, Sherman Fields has Hook as a ghost, but I I guess it's just the killing, the sort of the, unlaw- the unlawful killing, let him get, you know, let him enter that sort of vengeful spirit hive or whatever, so just by... I don't know initiation he he can embody that or whatever but in this one it makes much more sense with Anthony because he is forcibly given the hook mm. when he's already when he's already physically transforming himself so it kind of makes sense and I think like when you think of again can, when you think of Candyman as a non-physical and as, as like an urban legend as much of his power is given to what by people think he is uh, so his his iteration or even if it's uh, visual or whatever it kind of makes sense when you think about it like this is the thing like for all the kind of the weird stuff that this all the questions that this film raises a lot of them not all of them and i'll get to uh, some of them most of them are kind of tied up when you think about it it's like oh actually no that all kind of makes sense and that's why like you're saying it's really it has such a strong foundation in the first film and it just continues and expands in this one
0: Definitely. I think so. Yeah, you you, you said there about him being uh, he, he is a hive. He's legion in a way. Like he yeah. is, you know, by by the end. And for for those for those of you who have been patient, congratulations. Yes, we get the payoff. Tony Todd does appear in the very, he, the very, 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 very last frame of the film I was delighted and I kind of nearly squeed out of my chair because that's amazing um, yeah. and he sums up the what, what I think is the message of this film in two words he speaks to Brianna and he says tell everyone and I mm-hmm. feel the message of this film which I do have a critique over the way that it's handled this is about do not let the violence that's been perpetrated against this community, be it Cabrini Green, be it black people, you know, do not let that go silent. Say their names. Now, that ties in intentionally and directly with, of course, we, we vividly remember the summer of 2020, the protests that came of the George Floyd murder, the murders of Breonna Taylor and, you know, say their names became and rightly so still is a very, very, very strong message in the media. Now, arguably like anything, it has moved slightly away from the spotlight. And that I think is what the closing message of this film is trying to do. It's like, you cannot forget these things. You cannot forget what's been done to this community. Uh, this is, And this is particularly William's point of Candyman is a hive. Candyman is these, these people who've been murdered horribly and just forgotten about then. And mm. although William is shown to be quite deranged and Brianna effectively then you know, she deals with him. Um, The film turns on a dime because as she is there cradling Anthony, who's in a pretty bad way, as you say, he's just had a hook hammered into his arm. The police kick in the door and fire two shots into him. And there's no Mm -hmm. dialogue and there's no put your hands behind your head. There's none of that, which of course, I mean, how can we not think of the... Well, murders. Recent events. Exactly. Murders.
1: Yeah, murders.
0: And and this is where I do have a critique over the way that it's handled, is that this film is too short for that to really be given time to breathe. Because that last... It almost feels like a fourth act in a three-act play because there's so much in that last maybe yeah. 15 minutes and Brianna Chain, maybe doesn't change as a character but certainly does something that she would not have done right up until a certain point is that this is where Candyman goes from being a villain to an anti-hero and I don't think we had enough time for that to really work out
1: yeah yeah it's uh, i i definitely think if anything um because there's a there's a few different elements in that as well it's like what candyman is what william's motivation is and what brianna's motivation is It it's kind of a for me definitely the third act of the film was the weakest part um but yeah one of the i was kind of confusing as well because it definitely does have a kind of a crisis of motivations and it's a quick tie-up and it, it really, I'll go with Brianna's uh, side of things first, because she, for me, like, it, it's teased throughout the film of her background. Um, so there's, there's a, there's a really, in the kind of the scheme of the film, it's quite random, but there's a, there's a scene where Brianna is having, it's either a dream or a flashback where she is a young girl. She's walking upstairs. She finds her dad who you, by the set dressing, you get that he was a painter or an artist of some description. He's sitting on a window and he says something like, did you know daddy could fly? And he jumps out the window or he and you—what what you assume you, he commits suicide. Mm-hmm. Not much is said about that. It does come up later in a scene between Brianna and her brother, they're talking about, you know, what do you want to do with dad's paintings? Do you want to sell them or do you want to exhibit them? And she kind of, I think she says, get rid of them or, you know, she just kind of brushes it. It seems like, uh, and it's also brought up again when I think it, it's like a museum curator mentions her father in passing, but it, you know, it, it's, it's kind of brushed off. And then towards the end, you know, from that like sort of nope scene on, you really get the sense that, you know, she, she's got the wherewithal about her, but you don't really get a you, you know that there are certain elements from her past and she does carry a lot of burden that is in some way kind of mirrored and paralleled and playing out again with Anthony, like, but you don't really get to see a lot from her perspective, which I thought was a bit disappointing for such a good and strong character. Uh, you don't get to see a lot. And then when it's at the end, uh, it was it was a bit confusing actually as well because I thought Anthony's body disappeared after it got shot and you just see her kind of kneeling there. I, I was a little confused because everything just really happened so fast. I was a little confused just as to, to the state of things. And for her to suddenly turn around and rely on... Candyman to get her out of this impossible Situation because she too is being Exploited by the policeman Mm -hmm. She's sitting in the car and she said okay well What do you want to do you know Do you you want to play ball here or do you Want to say say that your boyfriend resists Arrest or do you want to say that you were in on a You know she gets harballed But it's I would have Loved to have known more like what was her breaking Point to make her rely On Candyman all of a sudden For her to essentially break bad And and like, when you think about it, she was kind of risking it. Like she could have died. Like, you know, so it's like, she seemed to trust that she would be okay in this situation or is her only chance of escape.
0: So it was a little fuzzy, but, um, sorry, were you going to say something? I just on that, because I was thinking the exact same thing. It's like, because I took it like in that moment of high emotion where she was losing Anthony. But then in that last moment, Anthony was taken from her. And he was taken from her oh, by the police. Yeah. So yeah. I got that in that moment of looking into the mirror, she had gone. All right, all bets are off. I I may this may kill me, but this will kill them. You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got I yeah. I got it from that. And again, again, I can I can appreciate that. I would have liked more, but I can appreciate that. Um like yeah, if yeah. although having said that, as this film stands and as it ends, I don't really know if there is a sequel in her story.
1: Yeah, yeah, true. I I that's yeah, it's kind of remains to be seen. I guess it just what it feels like when you're watching it, you get the impression, at least I did anyway. I got the impression that there were some significant scenes with her and her backstory cut. I, I, I was just looking at this. I was like, this all seems a little bit rough. And the runtime is only, was 121 minutes? It's actually
0: quite uh, short. About, it's, it's, it's a really short film. Now, it takes along nicely, you know, it's nicely paced. But I, yeah, definitely, um, I... One hour, is it one hour, 20 minutes, or...? Uh, I, does it hit the... I'm, 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 I'm going to split the difference, say it's an hour and a half, but I might be... I'm, 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 yeah, i I'm might yeah. be off on that one but um but yeah i but
1: again it's i for me it was just a sort of a, a, a my critique of the film is more so just the third act squishes a lot in there and like you said doesn't give it a lot of room to breathe and um it's kind of the same with uh with uh, coleman domingo's character william burke's motivation it seems very consistent all throughout when you suddenly learn that he was the child who you know saw Candyman as a person but then his sister was murdered there, there's kind of a there's a sort of a large chunk missing you don't get a sense of how he discovered that it was anthony who was Candyman, or else he knew all along but then he had this whole elaborate plan to resurrect him like how did he know that was going to work you know and it just he he just kind of goes from not to crazy in kind of the in sixty seconds, uh, which again is fine. I just felt like that there could have been more there, and but again in hindsight it is kind of all there a bit contained
0: but kind of rushed. And then yeah, like, uh, give us a give us a mini series. I would happily this story this film. Yeah. Put, five episodes or something like that where you get William's episode and I don't mean because I can now hear myself going oh do I need absolutely everything explained to me it's like no it's that there was just enough given that I really want more and I do feel a little bit unsatisfied in some of the things we got but I do like what we got and maybe I am just being a bit of a glutton maybe I do just want more so just give us more (laughs) William you know give us more Brianna William and Brianna for two maybe main we don't characters,
1: fu- yeah, maybe we don't need like a full mini maybe just like a director's cut of Candyman 2021. The, give me the Nia DaCosta version of Candyman 2021. Release, Release the, the DaCosta cut. Da cut, yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: um, so that there's uh, like that kind of brings us. So I, I will say that we get uh, obviously, yes, Tony Todd is reprised with some excellent, I thought, some very, very excellent, uh, de aging. Um, on him, um,
1: yeah, and and nothing. He it doesn't stay. It's welcome. It's teased. You get just enough, and it's it's a it's a, it's a it's a it's
0: a thirst trap, if anything. <laughs> yes, that's an excellent description. Uh, we actually are funny enough. We get more Helen Lyle because Virginia Madsen. We were wondering when we were watching it, going of like, is this course. new dialogue or is this? So Virginia Madsen did record. Uh, new recordings because of course she was doing her thesis on urban legends in 1992 and in a way she's resurrected for this film in that you you did the great what what was the description that you did the comparison with another film
1: oh my gosh linda Uh, hamilton oh yeah yeah linda hamilton so it, it it this Helen Lyle's I think it I think it actually does it a bit better but like Helen Lyle's presence in this film uh you get that sort of idea from Terminator Salvation where Sarah she lives on through the recordings like in Terminator Salvation Sarah Connor lives on with ADR <laughs> you know uh, additional dialogue recordings and and but like but in this it's it's Helen Lyle's presence, even just as a voiceover or like picture on microfiche or whatever, that's the part where it really starts to drop that this is actually a sequel and not a remake. Like if you didn't know going in uh, that this w- that this is a sequel, this was the part that the penny really dropped for me. I was like, oh my god, they said they said her name, so it's uh, this this is a sequel. It's not a reboot or a remake or a retcon. It's just. I was that was such a surprise and it was done so well because some of that footage would live on if it was a crime you know if it was a crime those tapes would be in evidence somewhere they just happened to be in the college that she used to work in right mm. okay so yeah I'll, I'll buy it whatever you know he doesn't have to how is he going to get into the evidence case file yeah no no it's in the college let's just uh <laughs> let's just set that scene there we don't need to ask questions <laughs>
0: fine fine um yeah. then the so the last thing I just want to say as well about this film um, is the soundtrack. I'm d- we're delighted to have a reprise of the music box theme from 92, but it doesn't rely on it, which I'm no. in hindsight. I'm glad I would have been probably before I saw the film, I would have been like, oh, it must be Philip Glass all the way through. And it, that's the sound of Candyman. You absolutely need it. But no, Robert Ikey Aubrey Lowe, does the soundtrack to this film and it's very unsettling and it's very atmospheric and we get the music mm-hmm. box team right up front with our backstory for Helen, which makes perfect sense. And it also plays over the end credits. And I would say, because we did sit there, it's, this is not a Marvel situation. There's not a, you know, end credit scene of Candyman jumping through the screen at you or anything, but stick around mm-hmm. for the end credits their hand it's it's very yeah. very nice it's very good the way they're done
1: yeah very much so and actually i i think also as well to sort of like if if we're just talking about the film of uh, you know as a production it does like the cinematography is great mm. uh the, it's it's really solid very consistent throughout it each scene is very atmospheric even when it doesn't have to be it it just is and I think also as well, um, the visual direction of it is lovely because for me, what was always so strike again, I'm making another comparison to the 92 movie, but like for me, what always kind of stood out in regards to the tone and the atmosphere and in particular, the music of the 92 film was just the opening credits with the Philip Glass, you know, played, played with the, the sort of the bird's eye view of Chicago, downtown Chicago. That always stuck in my head, even when I didn't really remember the ins and outs of the film, that the sort of the atmosphere, the creepiness of the movie, even being a kid watching that film when I was too young to have, you know, younger than I should have been watching it, that always stuck in my head and I always remembered, oh yeah, that's that film with the, uh, with the creepy music and the creepy opening. This film does its own version of it and it does it really nicely because... The opening credits of this film, they do the whole uh, high-rise kind of gentrified sort of Chicago. They do that, except they do that in a sort of inverted way where the camera angles are looking. They're looking up at the skyscrapers, but the image is flipped. So you actually get to see skyscrapers descend down into a foggy, atmospheric sky, and it has very atmospheric music. So... You know, Lowe's uh, score is just playing over it. Really good. It's very disorientating. I kind of got the sense when I was watching, I kind of feel like I'm a little kid, just like staring out a car window, looking up at buildings. Like it, it really sets a tone and it, it, it adds into the whole supernaturalness of it as well. So yeah, if anything, this film is great on atmosphere, um, whether that's from the music directly or the reminiscences uh, of what it, what foundations it's
0: built on. I think it works. I completely agree. I completely agree, and I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly recommend this film. Um, it's getting positive to mixed reviews online. I, I'm gonna throw my name in the hat here and go. No, I think this is a bloody good film. I think it deserves to be seen. Um, yeah. And yeah, and if you didn't like it, you're wrong. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i think if you didn't like it it's, it's i you're definitely wrong but i want but i'm interested to know no if, if you didn't, if you didn't like it i think it's interesting to hear why because mm. i do when i came out of it i'm like i i you know showing my cards uh, my full bias i totally love this film i thought it was really nice but i i would get if people were disappointed with it Say, if if you are just a general horror fan and you didn't really know too much about Candyman, it's not really going to be for you. You might get a couple of things out of it, but a lot of the subtleties and the, the mythos and who it's aimed for, that's going to be lost on you. If you're a Candyman fan, you have a real good chance of liking it, but... I guess it's 50-50 on whether or not this will disappoint you. So, again, can't blame me. If you're someone who's just looking for gore, it has a little bit of it, but it doesn't rely on it, and it doesn't need to. It has... I, I guess it doesn't really have too much suspense either, but you can't... like. I think if you're a horror fan, what can really impress you these days? Like, you have to... Like, I think... It, The mechanics that it employs are very clever and it reminds you that this is a film and it uses a lot of good film and film techniques to get the kill. You see a lot of, you see some of the kills happen, but when you don't, it's done in very interesting ways. So I I think there's a lot to enjoy about it and I would recommend it for sure.
0: Excellent. Well, I think that is as good a place as any to call time on it. So, John, thank you very, very much for joining me today and for joining me in the cinema.
1: Yeah, you're very welcome. Uh, thanks for suggesting to go see it, because when you said, did I want to go see Candyman, I thought, oh, it's a re-release? All right, I've seen it a couple of times. Yeah, why not? But, yeah, no, thanks, because if you hadn't asked me, I wouldn't have got to see this movie. So, yeah. and uh, you, it's okay. You can pay me back for the tickets whenever.
0: That's uh, grand. So. That's cool. Yeah, um, so <laughs> um, we've lost this entire recording. And thanks for having
1: <laughs> yeah so thanks for having me thanks for having me on your show and if uh, if your fans never want to hear me
0: again uh, that's totally okay <laughs> that is grand everybody please get in touch to make sure that we do get the lovely John back again because I feel smarter for having spoken to him um that is everything for our show this week guys thank you very much for joining us if you agree with what we said or you disagree or frankly think we're on crack let us know you can get in touch by following us on twitter at sean ferrick you can find us on the various socials as well if you enjoyed what you heard and would like to get involved in the club you can head on over to patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash sean ferrick where you will get early access to episodes and you will get to be a part of the creative process John, once again, thank you so much for joining me. You are an absolute legend.
1: That I am. Thanks, Sean, for having me. (laughs) You are very welcome. (laughs) I couldn't help it. Oh, brilliant. Thank you very much. This is, uh, for my uh, first ever podcast experience, this has been great. So thank you for having me. You are a wonderful host.
0: Stop it. Uh, I believe this covers the cost of the tickets. Um, You're all awesome, Uh, guys. Thank you so much. This has been you. You're on crack, mate. I've been Sean, and you've been awesome.